Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. How many people love the word of the Lord? Amen. More and more I'm growing in this understanding that God and His word are one. That God is His word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God. And um, the same was in the beginning. Without Him, there was nothing that was made that was made. Amen. And that word became flesh. Verse 14. And He dwelt amongst us. Word incarnated dwelt amongst us. And what did we beheld? We beheld His Glory as the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of His grace we have received, of His fullness rather. He's full of grace and truth. Of that fullness we have received grace for grace or grace upon grace. Amen. And I want to encourage you, we'll talk more about John 1 to 14 later, but it's an essential portion for you to memorize. You've just noted, I've just quoted the entire portion to you. John chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, and verse 14, 15, 16, I've just quoted to you. I want to encourage you, if you're going to become powerfully used by God in any level, you've got to lay in store the word of the Lord in your mind. Remember scripture. Try and memorize it. Because in the hour when you're going to need to use it, Jesus said, I will bring back to your remembrance all things whatsoever I have said to you. Now, he speaks, he does say to you, when you encounter his word. And the Bible says, meditate. Part of the meditative process is a memorization process. Meditation means, take your mind and turn over and over and over the word consistently in your, in your mind. Like John 14 verse 21 has been the subject of my meditation the past week, two weeks or so. Okay? And the more I churn, guess what? It's easy for me to quote that verse now. It wasn't easy for me to quote that verse two weeks ago. Why? I knew it existed. I knew more or less what it said. But now in rememorizing it and meditating on it, it's, become, it's becoming part of my system. Okay? There's no great effort. If, if I'm at any conference in the world, and God says, Randolph, I want you to Tell these people about the principle located in that verse. Guess what? I'm ready. Right? I'm ready. Ezra was a studied scribe. Or, as King James says, a ready scribe in the law of Moses. What's the law of Moses? First five books of the Bible. The Torah. This man took the time to study five books. To know it so well, when the opportunity came in Nehemiah, he stood at the podium. And what did he do? The Bible says he read in the book of the law, for a quarter of the day. Right? A quarter of 24 is six hours. He read for six hours nonstop and giving explanation. That kind of use by God of a man does not just come. This man took the time, our favorite verse, remember, Ezra prepared his heart to study, do, and teach statutes and commandments to, to Israel. I want to prophesy over the house. I foresee a day when God's going to require of you to stand at your podium. 
Bible says in Nehemiah 8, they built a wooden podium and he stood behind it with 13 others. Him makes 14. What is 14? Seven times two. Or seven plus seven. Seven is perfection. A perfect leadership, if you would. Perfectly constructed leadership. A leadership in perfection is a leadership that is able to The Bible says, he along with others. He was the leader of the group, but there were others together with him. Right? It's like Peter standing with the eleven. The Bible says in Acts. Peter stood up with the eleven. And he said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Tell your neighbor, stand with your father. I want to ask you, stand with me at the podium. Stand with me so that we can, in a season of reformation, You must remember, in Nehemiah, the law had not been heard for 70 years through Babylonian captivity. Now Nehemiah says, the nation is going nowhere unless we configure their lives by the word of the Lord. Do you know what? If we neglect the Bible, your life is going nowhere very fast. Hmm? Tell someone next to you, live like I've said it. Live! Not die. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. If you are not feeding, I suggest to you, you are dying and you don't even know it. And you're under the false, you're living under a misnomer. You are self-deceived in thinking that all is well with me. I belong to a nice church. I've got a fairly good family. My life is going well. I'm blessed seemingly at work or business. I've got a nice, decent set of, of, social, of social networks, social friends around me. Hunky-dory. And you could be deceived. You could be dying slowly. So tell your neighbor, live! Man shall not Live by bread alone, but by every word. If you're neglecting the word, you're not living. I see people's feeble attempts at being word-focused. I see their passing fads of consuming word and then slipping into waywardness. And other influences are sailing the lives. I can see it prophetically. My burden for this house is become so word-centered that if you neglect your Bible for one week, never mind one week, one day, you feel like you're not alive. It's like you're not eating for a day. You will feel the effects. You don't eat for a day. And what did Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds everyone say proceeds from the mouth of god okay welcome <laughs> that was a welcome message amen it's lovely to see everyone again amen listen we're still dealing with the subject of the primacy of the the word of god amen last week we we dealt with um the issue of the word of god being the nature of god you cannot decode god apart from studying his word You will never know God. Listen carefully. You will never, ever know God 
unless you study his word. His word is the means that he discloses himself to you. Some people are waiting, going up in some mountain, praying up for some abstract, ethereal spirit presence to engage with. That may have a place. But I submit to us tonight that if you want to know God deeply, is it the cry of your heart to know him more? Then create the context for that. Create the environment for it. Set up the arena. The environment in which God will disclose himself to you is in and through his word. Neglect his word, there'll be absolutely no unveiling of the Lord to, to you. Amen? We distinguish between the bar logos and rhema last week. Okay, the bar is the spoken word of the Lord, Old Testament word for word, in which is embedded the already fulfilled or the fulfillment of that word as it is uttered. So it is utterance, it is pregnant with fulfillment or already. In the New Testament, two words are used to describe word. It's logos and, and rhema. Logos refers to the entirety of the scriptures. The Greek word literally means the intelligence of God or the expression of thought. So God has thought or intelligence, a mind, wisdom, and he wants to express it. Logos is the expression of, it, of thought or the expression of intelligence, utterance. So too is rhema. Rhema also speaks of utterance, a disclosure. But the unique thing about the rhema is the rhema is always revealed from the, from the logos. Paul encouraged his son Timothy to study the logos. Be diligent, study to show thyself a proved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing what? The logos of truth, the word of truth. So take the entirety of the scriptures and cut it up. Rightly divide it. Cut a part through. Amazed. Make a clear journey through. The entirety of the word of the Lord becomes so proficient like a technician. Everyone say technician. Hmm? You know, when, when you see someone that is highly skilled at work, it's, it's a marvelous thing to behold as opposed to someone unskilled in that area. Not so? Hey? It's, it's amazing how a skill is like grace. If someone has the skill to perform a task, yeah, you're battling all day, and the person comes and in two tools it's sorted out, right? I want you to become a craftsman in the word of the Lord. Become skilled, a skilled technician. What did Paul say to Timothy? Study to show yourself. Approve to who? You don't study to build accolades before men. You don't study to impress people with your revelation. That season is past. You don't study to show people how spiritually intelligent you are. You don't study to demonstrate your spiritual IQ. Who do you study to make approved of yourself to who? To God. You study as an approved workman before God who called you. So Randolph, as one called of God, must be able to do what to the word of truth? Rightly divide the logos. But Romans 10, 17 says, how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the, what word, what Greek word is worthy? Rhema. By the rhema, by the word of the Lord. So the preacher 
Peter also says, listen carefully, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracle of God, right? That word oracle we learned last week is logion, logos, a derivative of logos, right? So Peter says, if you are speaking as a minister, you speak logos. But listen carefully, when you speak and you, you rightly divide in the logos, you, you're speaking logos, but to the hearers, they are receiving it as rhema. Rhema is the effect of the word heard issued forth from the logos, if you would. Hmm? Issued forth from, from the logos. And I said to you, every time we study the logos, who must we seek to know? The person of truth. Truth is not so much a doctrine as much as it is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whenever you study the Bible, always seek for your study to culminate in a deeper knowledge of Him, the person of truth. Otherwise, your study of the Scriptures becomes a clinical, cold, intellectual exercise. Right? Your unpacking of truth must always lead you to more intimate relationship with the person of truth. Right? Always, please always seek to do this. Never let it become so academic that you lose your, your uh, um, sense of nearness to the spirit or the person of, of truth. The name of God, we said, Psalm 38 verse 2, 138 verse 2 says that God has exalted His word along with or together with or in keeping with His name. His name, I said to you, reveals two things. What were they again? Remember what in the board here? Name always suggests two things. The word name, generally in the scriptures. Nature and function. Identity and destiny. Right? Those two issues. His word, the word of the Lord. Everyone say word of God. I said louder, word of God. The Bible says in Revelations 19 verse 13. That the name of the Lamb is Word of God. Right? Now, we're living in a beastly system we've been learning recently. This world is beastly. And we function like what in a beastly world? We function as lambs. If you're going to be lamb-like, qualities of the Lamb are derived from Word. Because the name, the nature of the Lamb is Word of, word of God. And I want to encourage you. How do we access all of this? Every time you obey, you assimilate, you assimilate aspects of the nature of God into your life. Every time you obey. I'm going to demonstrate that to you tonight. And then we concluded with John 14 verse from 19 to 26. But just to the keynote verse is verse 21. He who has my commandments and... Come on, talk to me. We're close. He who does what? Two things. Everyone say two things. You got to two things here. He who has and keeps my commandments. You can't keep that you don't, that which you don't have. So exposure to the word is very important. Otherwise, obedience becomes impossible. Right? He who has my words and keeps them is the one who loves me. How many people love God? Based on that verse. Okay. You'll say this in a big meeting. How many love God? Okay. Who has the commandments and keeps him? Okay. You don't love God. Let me just say this to you. 
You don't love God more than the, the degree to which you have and obey his word. You are, you are self-deceived into thinking you love God if two things are not present. Having commandments and keeping them. He who has my commandments and keeps them. And then Jesus said this. This is the part I love so much. And then he who loves me will be loved of my father. And I will love him. I love this. I want to be loved by the Lord. Don't you? I want to be loved by him. And here's the part I like. And I will disclose myself to him. Who's finding that you're getting to know him more and more? Are you experiencing this practically in your life? Anybody here? Am I the only one? Is, this, is there progressive unveiling of himself to you? Every time you position Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're consistent. You're showing God, I'm serious about these things. Not a day goes by. I want to be in your word. Show me yourself. Show me who you are. I'll have and I'll keep. So you promise disclose. So let it happen. Reveal yourself to me through your word. Let me understand you more and more. Amen. Say it again. Disclosure. You see, I can just rush off into, into, into lesson two. In fact, lesson three is at the back there waiting to, to be consumed. I can rush into all of these things. So many concepts and principles I want to get into. But I'm going painstakingly slow to ensure that what we're doing in this school is not mere the coverage of biblical truth in breadth with no depth. We can cover a lot of things this way. But don't, we haven't cemented each thing we've covered. And I want to ensure that each of us are living the word. Tell you never live the word. Come on, live the word. Live the word. Tell them once again, live. Live. I just can't get away from this verse. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's a subject for next week's. For, for next, for lesson three. Amen? Okay, let's leave that. Enough recap. Let's go to lesson two. I've entitled this, The Word Transforming Us into the Nature of God. Similar theme from lesson one. Okay? Now, the Word of the Lord is living and powerful. Hebrews 4, 11 and 12 says the following. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. The example of disobedience there is Israel's example of disobedience. You must read the whole of chapter 4 to get the, the general picture. After talking about all of that, he says, Let us therefore not follow their example of disobedience. Then he says, For the word of the Lord is living and active and sharper. I just like that. Living, active, sharper. Right? The word of the Lord is living, active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both the joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Very important. 
I don't have time to discuss this verse. This is like a whole sermon on its own, just this verse alone. A lot of things you can unpack here. But all I want to stress is that God's word is alive. Tell him the word is living. Tell him it's active. Tell him it's sharper. <laughs> living, active, sharper. When I take my Bible, I study most times on PC or on an iPad. When I open the scriptures and I see, I'm finding my love and delight in the word of the Lord. As if I read some verses, like jumping out at me. And I'm not lying when I say this. His word is my delight. I get happy, so happy. Joy fills my heart when I engage the scriptures. You want a good feel. You want a feel-good experience. I want to encourage you. Pleasure yourself with the word of the Lord. If you are having a down day, get into that which should be your delight. That's a separate topic. There's a whole lesson I got on the delight of the word. That's something later. Okay? But, you know, and many of the psalmists speak about the delight in God's word. Do you, when you approach your Bible reading or Bible study time, say, sure, it's that time again. Drudgery, dragging myself. Where's this book? I don't even know where I left it. You know, it's, it's not such a priority. It's not even a feature in my life, right? right? The Bible must be prominent, visible. Make it so primary that it's, it's central to your existence. Amen? And oh, joy wells up. It's living and active. Jesus said this. Oh, I like the Amplified. For the word that God speaks is alive, full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. How's that? What the explanation. Eh? Next time you read the word of the Lord, feel the energy in those pages. Feel the spirit of the Lord making principles alive. Pray the prayer of David. So David prayed about the word of the Lord. David prayed and said, open my eyes that I might behold the wonderful things in your law. Amen? Open my eyes. John 6, 63 said, It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. Everyone say spirit and life. If you just combine Hebrews 4 and John 6, the word of the Lord is living, active, sharper, spirit and life. There's energy in the word of the Lord. I just like the phrase, your word is spirit. Your word is ruach. Your word is breath set in motion. That's what spirit means. Breath set in motion. Your word is energizing. That's why you cannot have any substantial spirit experience without a solid word foundation. Because his word is spirit. The spirit of the Lord always acts on word. We see this powerfully play itself out in Genesis. Remember, it's in your notes. I think I put it here. Somewhere here. I'm jumping ahead of myself. But remember, the Bible says in the beginning, um, this, the, this, the, the earth was without form and void. And what happened? And the spirit of the Lord, somewhere here, I just can't find it. The spirit of the Lord moved over the deep. And what happens? God said, everyone say God said. 
you see a powerful interaction and display between God saying and the Spirit moving. The Spirit moves not in a vacuum. Spirit moves in the context of God's speech. No powerful spirit demonstration without a solid word foundation. No spirit demonstration without a solid word foundation because the spirit of truth responds to the word of truth. Hmm? You know what? I am. Let me prophesy over this house. We're going to experience such supernatural miracles. It's going to blow our minds. Why? We've taken the time to prepare a solid substructure, foundation of word. Amen? Now, when you heard this word of truth, we surrendered our lives to Christ, trusting and believing Him. Let me just quote the scriptures. I know these are like elementary for most of us here, but like I said last week, there are many young people here, so I want every, especially the youth, I want, I want Janae to understand this. Okay? I want Jaden to understand what we're doing in, in terms of, of, our, of our speaking, okay? All of us. So Ephesians 1.13 says this. In him you also trusted after you heard what? After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's the New King James. The New American Standard, the same verse says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed. So you trusted in him and you believed. Why? You heard something, not so? What did you hear? Tell you never the word is living, active, powerful, spirit and truth. Okay, it's too much for you, so okay. <laughs> Now listen, it's so powerful, you said, yes, Lord, I serve you. You said, yes, after you heard. Romans 10 says, how shall they hear without a preacher, right? The, 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 the wisdom of God is this. Through the medium of preaching, which Paul says is foolishness to some, but to us, it's power. Through the medium of preaching, you believed, Amen. Who recalls the first time you heard the gospel? This, in terms of the gospel of salvation in Ephesians 1.13. Yeah, remember? I recall vividly. I was dragged by my mother to an evangelistic crusade. I was in grade 9, middle of the year somewhere. Okay, I was still an altar boy in the Anglican church. Faithfully, I grew up in that realm, serving God at best I knew how. And she had left the church and gone to this Pentecostal church down the road from where we lived and... Evangelist Paul Langer, I don't know who, he, where he was from, tall white man, thin, was preaching at the Assemblies of God Church the whole week. I was invited week after, day after day, my whole family's going. I said, no, carry on, I've got my church. As young as I was, I was very staunch, focused, and serving God best I knew how. And then I went to, I sat in this meeting, the Wednesday evening. I even sat behind a pole. For those of you who know the Assemblies of God Church in 54 Rayleigh Crescent, they've got four pillars there. I sat behind one of the pillars. I thought, let me just check this thing out here. Sit. And I tell you, I'll never forget his message. He preached on how Paul was shipwrecked in the book of Acts. That whole passage. 
I never ever heard the word of the Lord like this before. The moment he says, does anyone here want to give their heart? I stood up, just found myself up, looking at everybody, and some people, other people stood up as well. And he called us to the front. We all went to the front, gave my heart to the Lord. Do you remember the first time you heard the message? Isn't God's word powerful? It caused you to say yes. It caused you to believe in him. Hmm? That is why, listen carefully, your entrance into salvation was through hearing a message. Your maturation into the fullness in Christ is to exactly the same medium that pushed you into the kingdom. If you stop at exposing yourself to truth, your growth in God will be stunted. Okay? So that's why I do, I prioritize apostolic schools. I'm there all the time. Why? I want to consistently hear so I can grow in the Lord. Let me explain briefly, quickly. The Bible actually says that you are born again. How many born again people do we have here? Bible says you are born again by how? By the word. Yes, and by the spirit. Let me read the scriptures to you. John 3, 5. Jesus answered, surely, or truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now listen carefully. You've got to, I'm stressing the aspect of being born of Water. You've got to be born of water and of the Spirit. Okay? If you write this verse above the word Spirit there, Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. Okay? Yes, though, you know why? The Spirit and the Word always work too, together. Right? So you were born again of water. The reference to water here is not a reference to water baptism. Water is used as an image. And in your notes, I've demonstrated this. What does water refer to? The Word of God. How do you know that? Somebody asked you, okay, we know that, but they ask you, this is, this is not a church service. This is a school of ministry. I'm concerned that not only does the Word change your lives and we grow, but also then you become empowered to stand and teach the same material to, to others, right? One of the primary references to your answering someone so, Joash, somebody asks you, you say, water is the word. You say, yes, because Ephesians 5.26 says. Don't say because Pastor Randolph said so. <laughs> Don't say because that's what, that's what we believe in the apostolic. No, 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 no. You say, no. We don't argue from our context. We argue from word. You say, because the word says in Ephesians 5, from verse 26 to 27. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and he gave up himself for her so that he might sanctify her and cleanse her by the washing of water by or with the word of the Lord or with the word. So with the washing of water with the word. So what, when you hear the word, what does the word of God do to you? Cleanses you. Washes you. Right? cleanses you and washes you. So then, here's another principle that you must learn as Bible students. Peter says this, I don't have time to quote the reference, but Peter says, no scripture or prophecy came by private interpretation. Basically all he's saying is, if you got, and um, part of what he's saying is, not all, but just my one take on the scripture is this, you cannot give your private interpretation to a scripture. 
as a person. So I cannot take one scripture and give my view on it. I have to have another scripture to explain the first scripture. Here we get the principle. The principle is simple. Scripture must interpret scripture. Right? So if I say to you, I believe in John 3 verse 5, that we are born again of water, means we are born again of the word of the Lord. How do I know that? Not my personal feeling. I can quote another scripture that explains that. Because Ephesians says, we are washed with the water. Oh, Jesus loved the church, gave himself for it, that he might cleanse it, sanctify it, with the washing of water by the word of the Lord. So scripture must always explain scripture. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. So you are born again by the by the word of the Lord. Go to James 1.18. In the exercise of his will, I love this verse, he brought us forth. Do you know God brought you forth? Tell your neighbor you're brought forth by God himself. Just camp there. Say Selah. Selah is a term in the psalm which means don't carry on reading. Stop, think, pause. Put some breaks and think of what you read. God brought Randolph Barnwell forth. I'm not a mistake. Shanae, you're not a mistake. God brought you forth the way you are. Each one of you are brought forth by God. Hmm? Every single one of us brought forth by the, by the Lord. If you're a child and you've got parents, they just have custody over you. They didn't decide to have sex one day and you were conceived and you came forth on a certain time on your birthday. No, you were God's plan from way, way back. Right? Tell you that I'm God's plan. I'm God's plan. Listen carefully. How did he bring you forth? This verse tells you. How did he bring you forth? By the word of truth. You know, we can just camp right there and we can conclude, therefore I am a word. Because the word can only bring forth a word. Tell you never, you are a word. That's why Paul says, you are the epistle known of all men. I'll talk about that scripture later. I am a living Bible. I'm a living letter. I'm a living epistle read and known by all men. The Bible says, I love this. Just go down to, 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 to the Greek for brought forth. It's apokuyo, which means to breed forth by transformation. To breed forth by transformation. To bring forth by birth. The new birth, the Bible says, we're born again by the water and the spirit. Water is the word of God. And God brought me forth by the word of Truth. Do you know when you bring forth someone, Matthew, Liam, Luke, Ray, all have my DNA pulsating through their beings? Not so? Hmm? And Renee's. Okay. If God brought me forth, who is he? His word. Do you know what? There's something more to the primacy of the word and word than simply what we read in the Logos, the entirety of the scripture. 
You are. You contain the seed, the DNA of the very nature of God. He brought you forth like one, like unto himself. You are like God. If he's word, you word. That's why word is so delightful for you. Because you cannot help but respond to the thing to which you are akin. You are like. That's why I love the Bible. Because word loves word. I want to encourage you. Awaken to this knowledge. Awaken to this reality. That what constitutes you, Mark, you are Mark the Word. Mark the Word brought forth by the Word, placed in the world. I'll show you that later. Prove that to you from Mark 13 just now. I am a Word. Tell you that again. I am a Word. Tell you that I'm living, sharp, and active. I'm spirit and I'm life. Hebrews 14, the word is living, sharp, active. John 6, 63, the words I speak, they are spirit and they are life. I am a word. That's why I'm so attracted to the word. Because I am it. He brought me forth by the word. Okay? This, listen carefully. So that we would be a kind of, I love this. There's old message in here. I've just seen this, some of these things right now as I'm speaking. That we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Tell your neighbor, stop your anger. That's a prophetic word for all of you. <laughs> okay, stop your anger, right? Now, therefore, verse 21 is very important. Putting aside all what? Now, could we all say filthiness like we hate it so much? Filthiness. Filthiness. You know what God is, as they've been revealing to me today, just as I saw today. I'm becoming aware of things that I don't have hard, hard evidence of. I know things in the spirit, in this house. And in other quarters, other spheres that I... Why? Why? You know what? This light. Sean, put the lights off quickly. Let's demonstrate this. The one there and this one. Let's just demonstrate this quickly. Let's put all the lights off. And uh, these, okay? And that one at the back there behind you. Right, we, we're in darkness, not so. What is the Bible like in the word of the Lord to? Light. Everyone say light. light. Say it like you mean a light. light. Tell your neighbor, show and work with me. Let there be light. We put it on. One, two, three. Now, you know what? When, 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 when light comes on, what happens to darkness? Yes, it flees or correctly is displaced. If your eyes are full of light, you cannot see darkness, literally. You have no concept of darkness when you operate in light. Darkness to you who is full of light is such a foreign dimension. You, you, you can't not only participate therein, but someone who is still living in darkness wants to communicate with you. It's like such opposite dimensions. 
But you know what's the reality also? The more word you have, the more light you have. And just like in darkness, we couldn't see what was in here. But when the light came on, guess what? You knew things. You were able to negotiate. And I believe this. God's unveiling filthiness in my spirit. Why? Simply through a focus on light. Tell your neighbor the word is light. That is why, listen carefully. I, the word is, I don't know what word to use. I, I'm, I know what I want to say to you in my mind, but I'm failing to communicate it in an intelligible manner. Um, let's leave it. I'll say like Paul, some things I can't say now. Maybe it may be at another time. Remember the Bible says concerning Melchizedek, the righteous book of Hebrews says, Hebrews 5, it is, Melchizedek, he says, he talks about Melchizedek, he says, I have to stop here because I have much, of whom we have much to say, but cannot, simply because you are dull of hearing. For by this time you ought to have been teachers, but you have been made, someone teach you again the foundational principles. Amen? So that's a forthcoming attraction. <laughs> Let me just say this to you. That is why people get edgy, uncomfortable in a word environment. You know why? It's too bright. It's far too bright. You can't hide. It's far too... You, you're living in a realm called exposure. It's far too bright. So tell your neighbor, let the light shine. You can't be dabbling in fornication, pornography, and wickedness. And tell me you're going to come sit at your table and look at the perfect law of liberty. It will never work. You will feel most uncomfortable. Why? Darkness and light cannot mix. Amen? Tell your neighbor, be filled with light. We are brought forth by the word. Now listen to what Peter says. Eh? Peter in First Peter, I love this portion. One of my favorite verses on obedience to the word. It says this. Since you have in obedience to the truth. What is truth? What is truth? I'm asking you a question. How do you know that? What verse are you going to tell someone that asks you, you've just said, word is truth. Show me in the Bible. Validate what you say. John? Who said that? Someone actually said that. Your word is truth. Who said that? John, or not Jesus, in the book of John chapter 17, praying in the garden. I think it's John 17, round about verse 3. He said, sanctify them. He's praying to his father concerning his disciples. Cleanse them or sanctify them through thy truth. Semicolon, thy word is truth. Write it there. Someone find the reference if you can for me quickly. I think it's John 17, 3, or somewhere early, in, early on in the prayer. Okay? We quote it to you, sanctify them or wash them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Okay? John 17, 17. Okay, John 17, 17. What does John 17, 3 say, by the way? Somebody quickly. Yes, okay. I'm mixing those two. Easy verse, eh? Everyone say 17, 17. 
I'm joking my own. 17, 17. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So let's read Peter again now. So Peter comes to us and says, Since you have, in obedience, you can write their word, because you just know now that John 17, 17 said the word is truth. So listen carefully. Since you have in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love. Underline, to circle love and put uh, how can you write this? Highest expression of God's nature. Something like that. Or put just God's nature. God is love, eh? So every time you obey the truth, what do you get? Nature of Nature of God, right? What causes you to have the nature of God? Everyone say obedience. Your obedience to the word causes you to grab a hold of and to display in your life the nature of God. You never ever display the nature of God if you're walking disobediently to Him. You only display the nature of God through your active obedience. Obedience is the privilege. It's the possibility that exists for you to demonstrate God to your world. But Peter says, seeing that, brethren, you have purified what? Your soul. You are spirit, soul, and body. He says, you purify your soul. How? Through the obedience to the truth. We just learned that the word washes you, eh? Washing of water by the word. How does the word cleanse you? Every time you obey it, you release the active agents. You know, like in these Omo adverts, active ingredients, whatever they say. And they put some chemicals there, washing, and you see all the, you know how they make these things so impressive, yeah? The active agents in the divine nature of God are released in your life when you are faced with a temptation to disobey Him. But you say, no. My flesh is saying that. God's Word is saying this. I will obey the Word of the Lord. Guess what? Everyone say, alive, active, powerful. You've just entered into the power of the Word. It's when you obey that that active power is released within your Life. Amen? Now, quickly, before we break, let's finish the scripture. I haven't come to what I really wanted to say. So you, you purify your soul so that you can love the brothers. Right? From a sincere heart. Verse 23 says, For you have been what? Say it loud, born again. Right? Right there. John 3, 5, somewhere. We just said John 3, 5. You are born again by the water, which is the word Right? And the Spirit. Now Peter picks up on this thought. And Peter says, yes, because you were born again. Now this is what I want to stress within your, your own mind. Everyone say seed. This is the subject for the next session after tea break. He says you were born again. Not of seed which is perishable. King James says incorruptible or corruptible seed. But of, but imperishable, that is what? Through the living and in. 
There's some more adjectives for you to add to your bank of, of, of adjectives to describe this word. It's enduring and it's living. Tell your neighbor, I'm born again by the living, enduring word of God. If you plant seed in the ground, that's the ground. What happens? I want to really, you know, the Bible uses concepts, uh, pictures, and it, it describes the word, that's the ground. As if you plant seed in the ground, the Bible says this word is incorruptible. How do you spell imperisha? Am I right here? Imperishable. Cannot be destroyed, eh? I love to use my imagination when I read the Bible. If the Bible says seed, then God is saying, God is giving me a hint. Randolph, study the seed process. Get to know the word process. Right? Um, I've attached a whole bank of questions, not to this note now. Uh, I've, I've only done it after I've printed these. After every set, after every lecture, there's a set of questions. And one of the questions I pose after this lesson, um, which you will get, you'll get the completed copy in digital form, and it's emailed to you, is discuss and think of a host of, there's a host of messages in here. You are born again by imperishable seed. Not by corruptible seed, but by the living, it says it's two things in Peter's mind when he says this. It's living, it's active, like Hebrews 4 says, and it's in. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will. Endure for, for forever. When the seed initially dies, not so. It's planted, it's watered. That's why you've got to fertilize it, watch it, nurture it, meditate, obey it. And then that has got possibilities of growing into a mighty tree. Let's say a fruit-bearing tree. Right? That, will, that is, will benefit everyone in its sphere. Seed, as small as it is, contains humongous possibilities. Seed, as minute as it is, has programmed within it all the potential for a massive tree bearing fruit that is able to nurture a whole generation and successive generations. Some trees have been in existence longer than you and I. <laughs> For years, right? This tree speaks of the fullness of the life of God coming to the fore. What the Bible says, unless a seed falls to the ground and was and dies. When the word of God hits you, you literally have to die to yourself, to your own inclinations. And in the death process, you awaken the full possibilities. That of all that is located within the, within that seed. Now there's so much there. I don't want to be sidetracked and, and go on to that because of time. This is a school. It's not a service. Amen. Listen carefully. First John. I like this. First John. And we, we'll conclude for a break. First John 3.9. Oh, before we get there, I just want to impress upon your heart. I have, repeat after me, I have, I have an imperishable seed in my spirit. Say it again. I have, I have an imperishable seed 
in my spirit. The fullness of all God possibilities is resident right now within you. Seed has, I mean, think about it, normal seed, eh? has got such powerful possibilities. And if you can just get a hold of word as seed within you, nurture it, die to yourself, actively obey it, guess what you're going to bring forth in your own life? The nature of God. The image of God. Word is like divine DNA. Say with me, DNA. Um, Peter, Stephen Everett in one of the apostolic schools defined DNA, divine DNA like this. D for divine, N for nature, A for activated, I think. Yeah, divine nature activated in my humanity. God's DNA pulsing through me. You have the life flow of God in you. You have the life um, of God pulsating in you right now. He gave that to you through His through his, through his word. Amen? First John 3 verse 9 says, No one who is born of God practices sin. Because, I like this, his seed, and wh- what is that seed we've just discovered? The imperishable word of God. The imperishable word of God is the seed you can just write it above that verse if you just for memory. Right? We are born again by the imperishable seed through the living and active, enduring word of God. And first John three nine says, Remember, you must be able to correlate verses. You, like if I were you would underline born of God and I would put James one. He brought us forth by the word of God. A brought forth born, okay? So, sometimes you must cross-reference certain phrases from one verse to another. Scripture will help you to understand Scripture. Now you're reading John. John is telling you, you are born of God. In your mind, you know, James 1, that you are brought forth by the Word. God's DNA is in you. And His seed abides in Him. What is that seed? The Word of God. What The Word of God is that seed. What does seed contain? Spiritual DNA, the life of God in that seed. That seed is in you, right? He cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, the key word to understanding this phrase is practices. Underline the word, practices sin, right? This does not mean that you will sin, that you will not sin from time to time. Okay, because John also says, if any man says he has no sin, he is a liar. And the truth of God is not in him. But if we sin, he says, if we sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all all unrighteousness. The word practices sin implies in the Greek the following. I don't have it there, but it means... To sin as a lifestyle. To sin as a habit. To sin as a characteristic feature of your life. To sin willingly. To sin 
with your total and full volition. Right? If from time to time you get caught in error, like Paul would say, right? Um, you must confess your sin. Because God is faithful and He is just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But having said that, I also need to say this. If the seed of the word of the Lord is in you that contains all divine possibilities, you should progress and mature in your victory over sin. We are, we are headed towards a mature state in God where Hebrews, for example, take this reference down, Hebrews 11, or rather Hebrews 12 verse 1 and 2 says, that seeing, uh, it says, let us lay aside the weight and the sin. So you lay aside the weight and the sin that easily trips you up. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame. Okay? Now I'm, I'm going to talk about the process of God's testing. I don't think it's in this lesson, but probably in the next one. Yeah, sorry, it's in the next one. We'll talk more about this issue of seed, which is word, is pulsating within your spirit. And you do not practice sin. When tempted to disobey God, you view it as an opportunity to demonstrate the, the nature of God. And to the testing of the Lord, you prove to yourself and to demonic hosts the fact that you are indeed a son of God that has victory over sin. Exactly how that process works is the subject of our next lesson. Let me just say this to you. How shall a young man cleanse his way? What did David say? But by giving heed to your word. How do you want to get the victory over sin? How, don't you, how, do, how do you want to get to this place where you don't practice sin? You will never do it apart from the power of the seed of the word of the Lord dwelling within you. Amen? Now, I want to talk about growing into the fullness of the essence and, the na and nature of God through His through his word. Hebrews 1 verses 1 to 9 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is, the word he there, just circle it and put son. The principle to learn from this passage is God is talking to us here about the possibilities of the Son. While it's referencing Jesus, it's also talking to you and I as sons of as sons of God. So he, so the Son is the radiance of his glory. Circle the word glory and put exact nature of God. In fact, the next phrase tells you that. He is His glory and the exact representation of His, of His nature. Stop. If I, sense, if I can't make a meeting, it's a very important meeting where a major decision is going to be made, and I cannot be there for some reason, and I appoint someone as my representative in the meeting to go and represent me, 
and to make decisions on my behalf that are going to be binding upon me. Because that person is my chosen representative. I give that person full power of attorney. You know what that person, when that person goes to represent me, that person has to literally die to themselves. Right? And let's say it's a board meeting of some major financial company that's considering a merger of two major corporations. And here this person has to make a serious decision, not for himself, but he has to act on behalf of the one who sent him. Hmm? That this is the principle of representation. So the person can't act as he would. He can't decide if he knows I will send him is in favor of the merger. And he's sitting in the meeting and says, me, I don't like this merger one bit. But I know my, the one who sent me is all for it. Guess what? I have to die to my own will, die to my own ambition, die to my own flesh, and accurately represent the one who sent me. The son is not just the representation. Everyone say exact. Say it like you mean it. Exact. This means when you represent. You don't represent partially. You represent totally or you represent egg. Exactly. In other words, it's like you are God right here. Jesus said, the son said, if you have seen me, you have seen the You've seen the Father. So the Son is the exact representation of what? Here's the big word. Circle it, highlight it in yellow if you want to. Neon. Let it stand out. I love this word, nature. What are you representing? You are representing the, the nature of, of God. Now, don't worry about the Greek word for representation. You just look at it quickly. I won't, I won't have time to unpack it. It's there for your own study. But the Greek word for representation is character. That should tell you something. <laughs> the English word character is derived from character. Right? How do you represent God in the world? Through displaying godly character. So, let me ask you, how exactly are you representing Him? What is the degree of the accuracy of your representation in terms of your character in the world, on the job with the O's, hmm? in your marriage? Husbands, are you representing Christ? Wives, are you representing His bride, the church? Right? I know sometimes we fail in how we represent Him in various things, but I want to encourage you. Grow in your sonship. Grow in your word content. Grow in your obedience to the word. Every time you do, listen carefully, you become an exact representation of his hypostasis, the Greek word for nature. Look at it. The Greek word for nature is this. Listen carefully. That which underlies the apparent. Hence the reality, I like this, the essence or the substance. You should underline the word that which underlies what is obvious, what is apparent. So it's like there's something apparent and there's something hupo. For those of you that love your Greek and Hebrew words, that is any Greek word starting hupo means, tells you about there's something under, something, you know. So hupostasis is the 
reality that underlies what is apparent, the substance. That which is the basis, again, basis of something, underline the word confidence. I like the next, the next statement here notes. Substance, what really exists under any appearance. Essential nature. Now, tell your neighbor, I'm a son. Come on, feel like it. Say it with confidence. I'm a son of God. So listen carefully. If I'm operating at university, at school, workplace, whatever, you must be the exact representation of his hypostasis. You have a character, a character, a behavioral pattern that is seen before men. What they see is apparent. Everyone say apparent. It's obvious, it's visible to them, right? But beneath that appearance or what is apparent is something very substantial. It's called hypostasis. It's called the nature of God that you, listen carefully, by your character have chosen to make visible to people around you. How will they know God? How will they ever know God? Except by studying your responses to certain situations. How will they ever know God? Except by hearing the content of your speech. You and your life represent the opportunity to put God on display before men. You do that by making him visible. When you make him visible, you present something apparent to them. That what, is, what appears to them is based on something that underlies everything. It's called the nature of God in you. You can never put him on display by your character if you don't have his stasis, his nature, deeply embedded within you. Right? So I show God's essence by my outward visible behavior, right? A son, listen carefully, is the representation of the nature of God. Now exactly how? Second Peter tells us, listen carefully. I actually love this verse, this, this verse in the Bible. Second Peter 1.4 says the following, For by these, everyone say these, He has granted to us, you should underline this or circle it, Highlight it. His precious and magnificent promises. Now, if you want to bracket that off on the top, precious and magnificent promises is simply another term in the New Testament for word. He's given us promises. He's given us word that Peter says are precious and magnificent. Right now, you should be building up your, your adjective list Describing the word of the Lord. Precious, magnificent promises. So that, I like this, by them, you may be what? You can partake. You know when you partake, you take part. <laughs> when you partake of something, you say, okay, if this is the pie, if this is the pie, let me draw it for you. If this is the pie, or the pizza, cut in slices. And I say, partake. You take your part. <laughs> and you assimilate it into you. 
if this is divine nature, who wants a part of divine nature? You know, the, the word partake, look at it in the Greek, it's koinonos. It means a sharer. Who wants to share in divine nature? Who wants to say, who want, let me see your hands, come on. If this is God's nature, if this is the hypostasis, the essential nature of God, and you say, Kelly, you say, I want a piece of that pie. You say, definitely, I want that thing pulsating. How, how does Kerry, listen carefully, partake of the divine nature? Key words in that verse is what? By them. Say by them. What is them? Precious and magnificent promises gives you power to become a shareholder, a share, sharer, a partaker in the nature of God. Jared, do you want to be like God? Do you know you will never ever be like God until you willingly, daily choose to feed off the word of God? And not just read it and study it. Like, like Peter says, obey it. You purify your soul by obeying the, the truth. Okay? So that you can, for sincere love for the brethren. The nature of God is to love each other. Let me just say this to you. The, this is a, I don't know why I thought of this analogy. This came to my mind now. There are many aspects, many slices to God's nature. His love, his peace, you know, a lot of things you can take part and assimilate into your life. But love, for me, quintessentially defines God. It's like core to, uh, if you want to def- you know, lock him down to something that sometimes overrides everything else that he is, he's love. If you can just master this one thing, the capacity to love people, unconditionally. Guess what you have pulsating in you? The nature of God. But what I want to stress, Peter is convinced you don't partake of this pie or this pizza or this nature unless you have precious and magnificent promises. By them, you you can become a partaker of the divine nature. What I've done, because we are Bible students here, the word nature in First Peter is different from the word nature in Hebrews. Right? Hebrews 1 verse 9 where it says the sun is the exact representation of his nature. That nature there is hypostasis, the basis that underlies what is apparent. Yeah, right? So Jordan, if you want to be a partaker of the divine nature, yeah, in First Peter, is phusis. Nice word, eh? Say phusis. <laughs> His forces, his native disposition, his constitution. I like this word because it's derived from the, the, Hebrew, the Greek fuyo, which means growth. It alludes to the potential for development and progression in the thing. By germination or expansion, to sprout, to blow up or to swell. Nice, eh? Growth into his nature is not static, but on going. You should be more like God this year than you were last year. You should be more like God this week than you were last week. If you consistently by magnificent and precious promises being a partaker of his forces, right, his native disposition, then you are 
shareholder, like you're a shareholder in a company, I got shares in divine nature. Some of us are major shareholders, others are minor shareholders. Right? What share do you have of the divine nature? Now the Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. First John uh, says, remember uh, Ralph? Not Ralph, Raphael. Wrote that song we sing. Here I am, I'm a son of God. As he is, so am. That verse, I think he wrote it from First John, which says, listen carefully, let us therefore have confidence so that, listen carefully, when we, we, see, when we see him, we will have confidence. Why? Because as he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. So ask your neighbor, are you a major or a minor shareholder? Share in the nature of God, right? How's your shares? What's the share price today? Let's just, let's just finish because I get so excited by terms. Let me read Second Peter, same verse again, 1 verse 4 completely to you. For by these, listen carefully, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them, you become partakers of the divine nature. And when you do that, this is the promise, you escape corruption in this world by lust. Can you see this? Right? All you young people here, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to be a young people in this dispensation. It's like you have so much to contend with that we in our youth didn't have to contend with. The pressure is on for you big time. Then, I mean, you'll, you can witness what I'm saying. Right? Listen carefully. I mean... This, this generation has got so much to contend with, fight against, keep yourself pure, and, and become focused. How are you going to escape corruption? And the word corruption, look at it, literally means in the Greek, ruin. Right? In an ethical sense, corruption, moral decay. Right? The only guarantee you have, young people, to escape moral decay, ethical violations, depravity, I just heard there's now something called the gay anointing. The gay church, they pray, pick up your hands, receive the gay anointing. I, when I read this, I thought, I got so sick in my spirit. I said, what, dep- what is the world coming to? Never mind the world, this is in the church. Receive this anointing. I thought, what, what, what filth has beset the house of God? Right? We don't hate homosexuals. We love homosexuals. We love lesbians. But we hate the act. We hate the vice because it's biblical to hate it. I want to say this categorically. We oppose to these things. Biblically, the Bible speaks vehemently against these practices. And I feel compassion for those locked up in the vice of these sins. I really do. Right? It's part of the corruption. Everyone say corruption. This world is being corrupted. There's a corruption, a decay, a filth entering the world. And I want to warn this house. I don't know why I'm speaking like this. I want to warn this company. Stay far away from anything vile. Do not, listen carefully, do not even derive entertainment value from watching these things. If you are opposed to lesbianism, how can you derive entertainment value 
from watching it. That means you approve of the thing. So keep yourself pure. Tell your neighbor, keep yourself pure. Right? You don't, the end, corruption is everywhere. And if you're not careful, the little doorway you give to the enemy, that which you submit to will dominate you. Remember I stood up here the other day, Achan, what's an Achan? Cain. Right? Sin is crouching at your door, waiting to master you. I sounded that out as a warning to this house, and I want to echo it again. What hope do you have of overcoming all the pressures in this world? What hope do we have? Our only hope is the Word of God. I want to encourage you. Jaira, when you go back, take the Word in the plane on that long trip, 18 hours to the States. Soak yourself in it. That's what I do on these long trips. Unashamed. I realize I'm going into a warfare And the only guarantee I have that's going to keep me is the word of the Lord. Amen? Hallelujah. High five your neighbor. Say, thank God for his word. Thank God for his word. Thank God for his word. My keeping. You know, I mean, I got an exercise for you after the next lesson to read and to decode Psalm 119. You'll find repeatedly over the David said, if it hadn't been for your word. My feet would have nearly slipped. It hadn't been for your word. You know, me today, when I look at my life and the way, um, the context on which I held, it's only by God's grace I am what I am today. But when I see what kept me through the years was simply a word presence from my youth up has kept me and preserved me. So I want to encourage you Please, this must be your buzzword. Escape the corruption. Escape the corruption. Your teachers on your staff, escape the corruption on your staff. In your workplace, mark with your colleagues, escape the corruption. Don't become part of the corruption. Keep yourself pure. Keep yourself free from defilement and contamination. How are you going to do it? By magnificent and precious promises. You become a partaker of the divine nature. And that is how you escape, keep yourself pure, free from corruption. Amen? Hallelujah. I am uncorrupted. Tell your neighbor, I'm uncorrupted. I live without corruption in this world. Okay, let's get to where I really want to go. Okay, for the next G time really goes. Hallelujah. <laughs> Matthew 13 is what I really want to get into. Matthew 13. Some of you have read this today if you had time. Let's read it together. Verse 1. That day Jesus went out of the house and he was sitting by the sea. And large crowds gathered to him. And so he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And so he spoke many things to them in parables saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell beside the road, and birds came and ate them. And others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. And when the sun had risen, they were scorched. Because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among thorns. And the thorns came up and choked 
them out. Others fell on good soil and yielded a crop. Some a hundred fold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So the disciples came to him and said, But why do you speak to them in parables? Right? Now them, write this above the word them. Just put verse 2, large crowds. Who did Jesus speak this parable to? It was a large crowds. This parable was spoken to large crowds because verse 2 says large crowds, right? Disciples, after he said all of that, they perplexed. They come to Jesus. Why are you speaking like in symbols? Why are you speaking parabolically to large groups of people? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Let me just be so bold as to say, do not forsake the gathering on a Friday night. Because in this forum, some mysteries of the kingdom are going to be revealed. They might not be aired to large crowds, but they will be aired to you. Mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Right? Whoever has to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But he who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Do you know what I'm expecting throughout this year? More revelation. I have, but I want more. To him who has, more shall be given. Amen? Who wants more revelation? More of his word. I'm not speaking wishfully. I'm speaking prophetically. I know that this is going to happen this year. I'm expecting my understanding of God and his word to grow in leaps and bounds. Amen? Everyone say expansion. Say breath of mind. Say breath of heart. I'm using terms that are used to describe where it says, and God gave Solomon the wisdom that he wanted. Maybe ask for wisdom, not riches. The, the next verse says, and God gave Solomon breath of mind. Do this to your mind. It's like this man was praying after the prayer download, and suddenly he wakes up and he views life vastly different. Breath of mind. Amen. The Bible is going to change our minds. Amen. No, why are we going there? Okay, let's, let's go on. Listen carefully. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they, not, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, "You keep on hearing, but you do not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive, for the heart of this people has become dull." With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their ears, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. Now, like this. So Jesus is essentially saying the crowds are dull of hearing, right? Dullness of, of, of hearing, which is a, a theme that the writer of the book of Hebrews picks up in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, if you want to study that further, Right? And you present something and they cannot see. Right? Jesus, if they did hear and see accurately, then I would heal them. There's a failure to, to comprehend spiritual realities. So Jesus says, I have to play it down a bit, speak to them in stories and parables, in an attempt to get them to know. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. But 
seemingly it's almost the parabolic speaking of the Lord is to prevent understanding to them in context if you read this accurately. Right? And I'll, I'll, I'll say so why in a moment. For truly I say many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and do not see it and to hear what you hear and do not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. Now listen, he starts to explain something that the crowds are not going to hear. Crowds know the story. The disciples know the story plus the interpretation. Hmm? And here's the interpretation. Anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. This one is the seed which was sown by the, by the road. Now below that I got um, a brief understanding, explanation of it. Let's just read this for completion. Verse 20. The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with, joy yet he has no firm root within himself but is only temporary and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word immediately falls away did you know that persecution and affliction will arise because you are here it says persecution and affliction arises because of the word right please come back just means that make sure you have root within yourself when the affliction comes. This verse is the subject of lesson three in the series. It's prepared already. We will talk more about that. But let me just say this. You are going to get afflicted with every word you hear. Test the word, every, you, every word you hear, God will test you by that. It's not something negative. It's something powerfully glorious when you understand God's purpose behind it. Amen? You want to know that? Who wants to know that? Okay, please don't miss lesson three. The one on whom the seed was sown among thorns is the man who hears the word, and the worry of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word, understands it. He bears fruit, brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Right? Some of the symbolism is easier. The sower is what? The preacher. The seed is? Remember, this, the seed image for word is very consistent throughout the scriptures. Right? Seed is the word. The seed is the word sown. The types of ground, listen carefully. The, the four types of ground alludes to how the word is heard based upon the condition of the hearer's heart and their willingness to obey it. So the condition of your heart and your willingness to obey it will either classify the state of your heart as either roadside, rocky, thorny, or good. Four types of soil here. Road, rock, thorns, good. Road, rock, thorns, good. What are you? Road, rock, thorns, or good. Tell your neighbor. Road, rock, thorns, or good. So, or somebody else. Road, rock, thorns, or good. Now what do these things mean? Listen carefully, quickly. Right? The Bible says the one who, on the roadside, he 
He hears the word and his failure to understand. Failure to obey. Look at the verse above that. When do you not understand the word? When you don't obey it. Our definitions in the Bible are different to English definitions out there. Understanding generally in academia is the capacity to assimilate and to comprehend a principle, a thought, knowledge of a thing. Right? Publicly, you understand something when you obey it. And the verse is, this verse I learned in my youth, I still remember it. Psalm 111, the last verse in the psalm, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. Let me ask you a question. Who understands the principle of forgiveness? The one who forgives. I can tell you all the scriptures, give you a Bible study, nice PowerPoint, the works. Right? I'll tell you all the principles, but guess what? And I can intelligibly present the theology of forgiveness to you. There is no indication of I understand what I'm talking about. Biblically, you only understand something when you walk it. When you do it. Otherwise, you are Pharisee. Pharisees talk, but they don't. They teach, but they don't do. Ezra studied, did, taught. In fact, take this note somewhere. Look at Luke 1 verse 1. Luke, the doc, not Luke, Acts. Luke wrote the book of Acts. And he says in Acts 1 verse 1. Somebody read it quickly. We've got quick access to it. Acts 1 verse 1 and 2. This is, I mean, all of you know Ezra 7.10 by now, eh? If you're in this church, you don't know Ezra 7 verse 10, you need to be shot. <laughs> Everyone must know Ezra 7 verse 10. Ezra, what does he do? Studies, he does, and then he teaches the law. Just quickly, somebody. Um, Acts 1 says, now Luke is writing this to a person named the. the Theophilus. The first account I composed. Now Luke's an intelligible, he's a physician. It's like Dr. Segi writing. Because this guy was a physician, he was a doctor. Now Luke is Dr. Luke. Highly intelligent man. He says, the first account. The first account is what? His gospel that he wrote. He wrote the book of Luke. The first account shares a reference to the gospel of Luke. That he wrote. So he says, the first account I composed. Typical of an intellectual. Eh? The first account I composed... Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to what? Began to do and teach. Everyone say do and teach. You don't teach until you do. Ezra did before he taught. And the doing of it demonstrates understanding, not the teaching of it. You never conclude what a powerful Bible study. That guy got understanding of deep stuff there. Sure. No, it's fine. I mean, I'm not taking away the necessity of that. Because we must have the ability to accurately even present truth and articulate it well so that it's understandable to our listeners. But I only understand when I do. Who understands first fruits? Yeah, anybody? 
You should be picking up your hand if you're practicing it. <laughs> Not when you can show me all the verses. Right? Your understanding is evidenced by you. So, the, the one who fell on the roadside um, has got no understanding, fails to obey. Right? Remember on the roadside, is it yeah, where all the birds of the air come? What, what are birds of the air? Demonic influences come and they steal the seed. Now, if you, if you are sowing seed and your seed falls on the roadside, birds of the air come and steal the seed, there's no chance of that seed coming to full maturity, to put the nature of God on display because of your failure to obey. Secondly, the, the seed that fell on the rocks, what happens here? Remember, Jesus said, I mean, if a seed falls on the rock, it doesn't have deep roots. Not so, right? It doesn't have deep roots. So the interpretation is, you hear the word, and then when afflictions rise because of the word, what happens? Affliction sent to test you based on the word you heard, you fail. God does not try you in the realm of your obedience to show you where you are disobedient. No, rather he does this to expand you. I should have referenced this. This is William, one of William Hinn's quotes. I forgot to put his name in here, in your notes. Just put the W. Hinn, William Hinn said this. You have no root within yourself. You are flaky, frivolous. You hear the word, you don't preserve it, you don't anchor it. So when the test comes, you be, comes to you because of what you've heard, you fall easily. Now compare this to Matthew 7, where Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and... Can you see how, how powerfully consistent the Bible is? You hear and act. You have commands and you do. Everyone say do. Right? Become a human doing. Not just a human being. Tell them to become a human doing. <laughs> Some of you just want to be, 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 be. Right? You must do, 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 do. Right? Listen carefully. Do the word that you've heard. Therefore, if everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Listen carefully. This rock is different from the rock on which the seed fell. This rock is a reference to the nature of Christ. And it says, if you hear and do, you will have a solid foundation. The seed that fell on the rock had no foundation. But he who hears and does has a solid foundation. And it says, um, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew. Those are the afflictions of this life. Not so? Slammed against the house. It did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Here's the catchphrase. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house. It fell and great was its fall. Great was its fall. I should not have been standing today, honestly, with all the things we, I have been through personally. I'm still standing today simply because of my obedience to the word of the Lord. You want your house to stand. Eh? When we were married, when we, on our wedding day, not when we were married, 
on our wedding day, we're still married. When we got married, on our wedding day, uh, we wrote the song, we sang it to each other after we exchanged vows. And part of the lyrics in one of the refrain of the song says, Rule in our home. Sustain our love. Use us for your glory and your power. And I forget the middle part there, but towards the end it says, For we know our house will stand. Tell you about our house will stand. Prophesy over your, house, over your life, my house, will stand. my house will stand. You can have many things not going for you, but let me just say this. You obey God's word. I prophesy over every single one of you. Share with, with, with you and your girls. Cattle with you and your family. You are standing today. And you will stand forever. I prophesy over you. There's a guarantee. And both of your households do not have a father figure in them. But I prophesy over you. I give you this word of hope. If you obey the word, guess what, Christopher? 20 years from now, brother, as a grown man, maybe with your own family, you're going to look back and say, our house has stood. My house has stood. Why? I've simply took one principle I learned from eternal sound school ministry. I've learned one principle from the word. All It's simple. Everything I hear, I must obey. I am building on a solid rock. You can throw what you want to against my life, against my marriage, against my children. I know we might go through some tests, but guess what? I prophesy, I'm certain we're going to be found standing. Amen? Tell your neighbor, standing. Jaira, stand. <laughs> stand. I just love the Bible. Stand. Tell your neighbor, live and stand. Now the thorns, the thorns, the cedars are sown amongst thorns. And Jesus easily interpreted this. He says, you receive the, the word. And he said two things. The cares of this life and the deceitful riches. Please, you must always watch for this. Watch out for this. Anxiety or worry. Unwarranted cares. And the, the, the phrase deceitful riches simply means you are so wanting, you're so focused on getting economic security that you're willing to do it by deceitful means. Compromise, truth, and righteousness simply to get the loot, the matcha, the kwacha. It's like pursuit after personal private preservation is so all-consuming with you you're willing to scheme, wheel, and deal to make sure you make ends meet. Now listen carefully. I see this, eh? Listen carefully. You can be in, th in, in, in Apostle Thamonaidu's school and listen to, to him, Dr. Segi, Sam Solin, Sean Blickner. Powerful seeds are being given to you. But if you sit there and you know what the soil is, the condition of your heart. If the condition of your heart is you are wrecked by worry, about your personal needs being met. I mean, we all got hectic things we are facing, but don't let that consume you. And if you are so ardently pursuing wealth to the degree where you become deceitful, those two dynamics will kill every seed you receive. No growth. Your life is full of thorns. But now let's go to the good seed. Enough of the bad news. Everyone say good seed. Hmm? 
Jesus said simply, he hears the words, he understands it by obeying it. But listen, 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 listen carefully also. Even in this domain, people give fruit on three levels in good soil. Based on how you've heard and the degree of your obedience. Can't Jesus say, and the seed that fell amongst good soil is he that hears the word, understands it, and obeys it, and bears forth fruit a hundredfold? He said, no, even in that domain which is good, some are bearing a hundred, some are bearing sixty, and some are bearing thirty. It's all based on how you hear and how you respond. Amen? I, when, I, when I studied this, I was so challenged in my own heart. Then I said, I put this verse in, I don't know if it's here. Yeah, look the note, the word, where it's got note there. Even on the good soil, there are three distinct levels of fruitfulness. 30, 60, 100 fold. All dependent on the degree of obedience. Thus, there is also a further challenge of bringing our obedience to perfection. And I quote to 2 Corinthians 10, 6. Paul says, bring, your perfect, bring um, perfection to your obedience. It says, he actually says, we will be able to punish all disobedience when our obedience is perfected. Would you make that prayer and you say, God, I want to be obedient with all of my heart. In areas where I haven't brought maturity to it, I'm really going to go all out. Why? I want a hundredfold. Who wants a hundredfold? Right? I mean, it's still good to have 30. It's still good to have 60. But my quest this year, I'm so sick and tired of, of being less than. Of, of being, and I feel the sense that I'm not hitting the level that God has destined for me. Who's, who's, who's tired of that? Right? Who's, who has a divine frustration that we're doing everything right, but we're not hitting? And I, I just feel God is stressing to this house, bring perfection to the entirety of every domain within your life. Bring perfection to your obedience in 2013 and see what I will do, declares the Lord. Amen. Say it with me, hundredfold. Listen carefully. Just finish this up. I know time is quick. Can I have another 10 minutes, please? Right? This is eternal issues we're dealing with. Just another 10 minutes quickly. Then we'll, we'll wrap up. I promise you. I've just got to get to the punchline. We haven't got to the punchline yet. <laughs> okay. The ultimate, I wrote in your notes, is total obedience to the word to produce the nature of the Son of God with, within us. Okay? And from verses 24 to 30, the Bible says Jesus presented another parable. Everyone say another parable. Oh, by the way, the parable we've just read about the sower and the seed, four different kinds of soil, Jesus called that the parable of parables. And he says, if you don't understand that parable, you won't understand any other parable. So that parable is a very important parable to, to, to understand fully. Then he says another parable. Listen carefully. The kingdom of heaven is like compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Listen carefully. Now the focus is not on the badness or the goodness of the soil, but the goodness of the seed. Now the focus is the quality of the seed, not so much the environment into which it's sown. Get the difference, right? And he says... While men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tears among the wheat. So the good seed is the wheat that grows, 
Then the, while the, the farmer is sleeping at night, the enemy comes, which is a reference to Satan. By the way, the field here is the world. If you want to make your notes, Jesus actually is in the note here. It's in the, in, in the verse itself. The field is the word. The good seed are sons of the kingdom. Let's just read on. But when this wheat sprouted and bore grain, the, tea, the tears became evident also. Question. When do the tares, which in this context are sons of Satan, or sons of the enemy, right? When do they become evident? When do you know who they are? It's only when the wheat sprouted and bore grain. Let me just say this. When you start to push the God nature out in you at work, guess what you're going to find? Suddenly, Evil is going to manifest itself all around you. Suddenly. When light comes on, guess what? It exposes the darkness. Not so? Right? The more righteous and godly and holy you become, guess what? Sons of the enemy are going to manifest for the evil that they are. That's why the Bible says Hezekiah, I think also Josiah, after doing deeds of faithfulness, the enemy came against them. After doing the right thing. They were attacked after doing the right thing. Right? Listen carefully. He said to them, verse 28, The enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us to go then and gather them up? Verse 29, But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tears, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow them both to grow until harvest. Right? And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares, bind them, bundles, and burn them, then gather my wheat into the, to the barn. Another take on wheat and tares is this. Wheat is good apostolic doctrine, and tares is false doctrine. Because wheat is always an indication of word also. And seed also indicates the, the word. So the issue of seed here is the kind of word, doctrine, that is produced in the field, which is the word. Now, verse 36 says, He left the crowds. Tell you never leave the crowds. You know why? Certain things cannot be said to the crowds. He left the crowds and he went into the house. The household. Where you have a spiritual father with spiritual sons. Certain things can, of the mysteries of the kingdom can be decoded. Jesus explained the parable in the house, right? Tell you never come fully into the house. Come fully. Let me just say this. Some of you are in the house, but I'm saying come. Come deeper. Come closer. Come more fully into this relationship. And we're going to find heaven giving the spiritual father things to say. Let me just say this. There's a hidden principle in here, even in that. If you're not in the house, certain things cannot be released. Right? Now here's the interpretation of the parable and we're going to close verse 37 the one who sows this, the good seed is the son of man who was the sower of the seed in the first parable the preacher jesus doesn't just say now the preacher he says the son of man a reference to himself yes but we also know that this phrase son of man is also a reference to earthly spiritual leadership and i won't have time to explain that because of I will limit the time, but just trust me. Come talk to me privately afterwards. I'll, I'll demonstrate it to you from the scriptures. The Son of Man is a reference to 
also accurate spiritual fathering in an earth-based context. Right? The field is the world. Yeah, there's, there's no deep things there. It tells you exactly what's going for what. Right? The field is the world. The good seed, these are sons of the kingdom. The tares are sons of the devil or the evil one. Easy, eh? The enemy who sowed them is the devil. Harvest is what? Say end of the age. Do you not know that we're living in the end of the age? We're living in a time frame in God called harvest. This is the season. I'll prove that to you in next lesson. There's a whole lot of forthcoming attractions from this lesson. right? I'll show you the Bible actually says, us on whom the end of the age has come. Hmm? And I'll demonstrate that to you. Listen carefully. So just as the tears are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his what? What are angels? Sent ones. They come and they reap and they separate between. That's why apostles, above the word angels, just put there, sent ones, messengers, stroke spiritual fathers. Do you know over this house, I am the angel of the house? I know I look like it, but I really am. <laughs> I'm not, I don't have wings. I'm not celestial beings with some abstract uh, ethereal aura about me. No halo, no lights, nothing. But really, biblically speaking, I'm the angelos is the Greek word, which simply means messenger. I'm the one who brings to this house divine messengers. So in the end of the age, God sends angels to reap. Right? What does it say? Where, what verse are we in? 41. Angels, and when they gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks. We sing this, one of the songs, right? Extract from your kingdom all things that offend. All stumbling blocks. And those who commit lawlessness. Those without law. Lawless is without law. Without principle. You live your life in an indisciplined fashion. Then it says, and throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of, te of teeth. Then the Bible says, Then the righteous will shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. This is one of the, I think the only time, if I'm not mistaken, that Jesus calls the kingdom the kingdom of the Father. He defines the context in which mysteries of the kingdom are, di are disclosed as a house. And for the first time, the seed is not the word anymore, but the seed is a son of God. The seed which was the word has now become the seed which is the son. Guess what? The son has become the word made flesh. Can you see it, Liam? You understand it? In the first parable, the seed was the word sown into the condition of your heart. Now the seed, Jesus said, the good seed is the son of the kingdom. He's a son that has obeyed the word so much that he now represents the DNA or the life or the nature of God in the field, which is the world. Right? In your school, in your workplace. Right? At harvest time when you are most productive, what is harvest? Harvest means a period of great productivity and fruitfulness. High-five your neighbor and say, become fruitful in the nature of God. And let me just say this. It says, 
The end of the age does not necessarily allude to a period chronologically at the end of time. Yes, it might have reference to that, which I believe. But I dare to say that every time you express fruitfulness as a son, revealing the nature of God in your context, in your field, in your world, that you will begin to shine like the sun. It's you, Ed. It says here, the righteous will shine forth like the, not the S-O-N, like the S-U-N. You are sunshine, wherever you are. Come on, tell somebody next to you, you are the sun of righteousness. The righteous will shine forth like the sun. Go down to Malachi 4 verse 2. For you will fear my name. The Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in His wings. Right? And you will go forth and skip forth like calves led from the store. What is, if you speak of the natural sun, what do you think of? What good properties emit from our sun? Light, warmth, life-giving. It's a life-giving source of energy. Energy, Right? You are that in your world. Please, before you close, you must take this reference down as you close. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 from verses 1 to 3. Open your Bibles. Let's read it as we close. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 1 to 3. In the first parable, the seed was the word. Not so, Jaira. In the second parable, the seed is the son. The Son has become the Word. Do you know that you can be the Word wherever you go? Now listen carefully. When I say the Word, you are the seed that grows forth to put the nature of God on display. How do you become a partaker in this pie? It says by precious, magnificent, and precious promises. Peter says by obeying the truth, right? We purify our souls for unto a sincere love for the brothers, the nature of God on Display every time we, every time we do that. Now, you become the word as a son. And Paul had, Paul knew all of this. So when Paul is writing 2 Corinthians, he knows all of this. He has oral records of all the Gospels. Probably Luke's account was out by this time. Right? Because he references Luke. When he writes 2 Timothy... He said, only Luke is with me. And I guarantee you all that Luke knows if he wrote the gospel and the whole book of Acts. Well, post-Paul, obviously, he wrote Acts. But listen carefully, he wrote the gospel. And if he was with Paul, I surmise, guess that all that Luke knew, Paul knew by virtue of their association. So he knows the parables, this um, Parable can also be found in Luke. Listen carefully. Second Corinthians 3. Let me close. Paul says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some, letters of commendations to you or from you? And I like this. You are our letter. Tell your neighbor, you are an email. Uh, I'm using like modern terms. I think Paul only Paul had some scroll and some 
ink feather thing quill is dipping and he's writing from a Roman prison. All he can think in terms of technology is he got a letter. If I'm the modern day Paul, I'll think technology and I'll say to Jules, Jules, my son in the Lord, you've modeled God's nature so powerfully. You are my manual. <laughs> you are the manual. You are the letter, and it says, listen carefully, written where? Not on paper. He says, you are my letter written in my heart. Known and read. Let me just tell you, Christopher, Shulton, Joash, all these young people especially, Newman, you are known, Jordan, and you are read. Quintessentially, some people aren't reading the Bibles. You know that. Your friends at school don't read the Bibles, but guess what they're reading? They're reading you. They can know God. The Word reveals the nature of God. They can know God by two things. They know you, and they read you, Ricardo. Everywhere I go, I emit messages to people. Right? Be so bold, one day, Janelle, to say, if you want to know God, two things, know me and read me. Study my life and get to know God. See how I forgive and get to know God. Then he says this. Everybody say, our letter. But he quickly corrects himself. He says, you are our letter, known and read by all men. Because I'm your father in the Lord. So he says, I preach to you, Corinthians. You are my epistle. You are my letter. The word I preach, you have become that. But then he quickly says, but being manifested, you are the letter of Christ. Not my letter. You are the letter of Christ, Everard. Letter of Christ. And I like this. Only cared for by us. Not my letter, Christ's letter, but I care for you. I'm fathering you. I care for you, but you are Christ's letter. Not written with ink. Not some book on a bookshelf called Bible. Not written with ink. But by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. You are like Jesus was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word put on flesh. You are a Word from God. You are a letter. You are a epistle, cared for by a spiritual father, but really you are the letter of Christ, the eternal God, the Logos. You are a letter in your world, and you are known and you are read by all men. I want to encourage you. There's no way to escape the corruption like Peter says. We have to preserve ourselves from corruption in this world by being partakers of the nature of God, by magnificent and precious promises. Every time you do that, you become the Word, and the, all these descriptions, the Word is quick, active, powerful. The Word is spirit. The Word is life. Magnificent and precious promises you can start to use those terms to describe you. Stand up with me. Repeat after me. I am the word of God. Come on, say it like you may say. I am the word of God made flesh. Repeat after me. I am the letter of Christ. I am the epistle of Christ. 
Come on, say it like you take it with conviction. Say it as like a kind of assertion and affirmation. You're not just repeating after me. What you are saying is, I've released grace. I've released truth. I've released something in the atmosphere. I want you to be consumed by it. I want you to be saturated by the thought, the possibility of all that we are saying. Amen? Mm-hmm. So repeat after me. I am the Word of God. I am the seed of God. I have the seed of God in me. I am the epistle of Christ. I am known and read by all men. I am living. I am active. I am powerful. I am spirit. I am life. I am light in my world. Amen. Lift your hands to the Lord. May the seed of your eternal word produce the God nature in us. He who is born of God does not practice sin. We hate sin. We hate iniquity like you did. We want to escape the corruption that is in this world. I pray, thank you God for precious and magnificent promises. Thank you that I'm brought forth by the word of God. Thank you that the seed of the divine is in my spirit. Even now, even now it's been activated. Even now it starts to germinate. Even now, Father, I thank you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Things in the lives, in all of our lives, are being activated. Thank you for germination, growth. Thank you for the pushing through the ground, the first indications of a sprout, pushing through the flesh, pushing through the dirt, pushing through that which seems to hide your nature. To make it less seen, we push through the earth. We push through our carnal nature. We push through our fleshly experience. Why, Father? Because your word is in us. We will not submit to the dictates of this world. We make a resolve tonight, God, that we will obey this word. And when we obey it, we purify our souls for loving the brothers with a sincere love to put your nature on display before men. May we become the word made flesh in our day. May we become exact representations of your nature. Use us as instruments. Use us as letters. You must use us as communique. Use us as your emails. Use us as your mouthpiece. Use our minds, our responses, our dress codes our public images, use every detail of our lives. May people come and forensically inquire of us and say, in every part of you we see the divine. In every part of you we see God. That is our cry. Dear Father, I ask, even as we sleep tonight, let these thoughts pulsate within our spirits. Let the seed of the eternal word of God grow into fullness. I speak full blossom of the nature of God in every single one of our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen.